Hello and welcome to another episode, episode four of Artworks in Therapy. Today's date is January 18th, 2023, and I have a pioneer in the expressive arts therapy world and healer, Mr. Sean McNiff. Welcome. Thank you, John. I first became aware of you as a student at the Georgia State Psychology Department, being that I was enlisted in several psychology classes. I wandered into the Atlanta Hyatt at the American Art Therapy Association and uh, stumbled into meeting Laurel Thompson. Uh, She said, oh, you have to come to our school if you ever want to live in New York. And she said, but first, if you're ever wondering about art therapy, expressive arts therapy versus creative arts therapy, the guy you need to see is lecturing right upstairs. I went and followed her and I saw you speak for the first time. This is probably 2005 or six. So you actually were with Bruce Moon um, at that time. I don't know if that rings any bells. Yes. But... Yes. Oh, good. Okay. It was. A, I think that was a student, uh, students only session uh, that I think uh, uh, Bruce initiated and I, I came along. Uh, number one, I'd never call myself a healer personally. I don't heal. Uh, I've never called myself a healer, never, never even uh, 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 dreamed of being a healer. Art heals. <laughs> As I said in my 2004 book uh, that came uh, from the CE, that title came from the CEO, uh, Dr. Nathan at the Dana Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, Harvard Medical School, that I was involved with uh, some time ago. And he was talking about how we doctors, we doctors are, are always trying to cure cancer and we, and we, we, we often can't, cannot, I don't want to get into how often or less, but as you know, we, we often cannot, but we do know that art heals (laughs) and healing can't take place. So the healing, and this is, this is really my primary a principle through everything I do. It is the art itself. It is the art process, the images, the engagements with them that generate the transformative and healing energies and the and the and the building of uh, self confidence and having a voice in the world that is so often needed in terms of people uh, going through difficult places in their life. So my work is always about the art. And, and to the extent to which it, it involves me, it's just I'm a I'm a cultivator, I'm a keeper, I'm a holder, as Mr. Winnicott said, and and supporter in that process. So so thank you for for calling me a healer in the beginning. To well, I had a whole section about shamanism that I just That's put a big great. scratch through. Yeah, I we uh, I, th- I think we ought to talk about that because hmm. for, because I've been accused. Uh, it recently in the Journal of Art Therapy of being a cultural appropriator. <laughs> and I've I have written recently, is am I a cultural appropriator? Hmm. Because I explore art healing as a historic phenomena, phenomena, uh, phenomenon in, in all the cultures of the world, and how art heal how, how art transcends culture in many ways. As much as it it is uh, paradoxically embedded in it and embedded in the individual context, there are qualities that 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 are common to the human condition. 
And so this is a real problem today. And so I'd love to talk to you about the whole shamanism business. <laughs> and, and shamanism, by the way, is an academic term hmm. uh, for this phenomenon of the of the yes. indigenous healer. It's I'm not and literally trying to become a shaman. That's crazy. Ketamine is a new form of therapy that's getting accepted. You know that you're going into uh, a bit of a, a trance, if you will, to kind of heal or work out some old maybe traumas. Well, I, I don't do those. And there is no question when you're, quote, in that zone, when you're in the rhythmic zone with, with, the, with the repetitious movement, which always brings trance, repetitious sounding and, and vocal improvisations, uh, drumming and other percussive uh, kinds of movements, and repetitious motions when you're, when you're painting on a large surface. There's no question that they evoke a trance state, which is which is another quality of art healing. I've, um, I have uh, given considerable attention to how art heals. Art heals by taking our pain, our afflictions, our suffering, and doing something positive with it, putting it to use, transforming the affliction into an affirmation of life. It's more it's, than just discharge. It's, it's oh, oh, the thank experience. You. That's so important that you said that in terms of... Uh, uh, Aristotle's catharsis and and J. L. Moreno, Jacob Moreno, did a a a, a, a great uh, job uh, dealing with catharsis and psychodrama. It, catharsis has its place in art therapy. We had our f early figures that talked only about sublimation, only about unconscious kinds of things, and it's it's more than just venting. When the hand and the body and the, all the senses are moving in artistic expression. I want to express myself as authentically and as completely and as effectively as possible. That's a fundamental pulse. It's a, it's, it's, it's a fundamental um, nature of artistic expression to realize itself. Sean, no, I what, define, no, I define quality as, as authenticity. I define quality as, as what, what's uniquely yours, what's uniquely mine, my, my, my artistic DNA, my artistic fingerprint. And, and as Rudolf Arnheim said, some, there are some pictures that express anger, for example, more effectively than others. Absolutely. And when I'm trying to affect, if I'm trying to affect uh, gentleness or if I'm find, uh, trying to affect the outrage in my artwork, uh, I, I, I want to affect. I want to express that as well as I can. <laughs> so quality matters. But but it's not a matter of the stereotypic sense of quality according to some external standard out there, out there beyond yourself. There is a quality, uh, an aesthetic understanding of what these words are. But what you're saying is more about what might be invisible in the process of making the art. In terms of the work, that I am doing in, in, in my my group practice, my community practice, which I've done now for 53 years. Um, I, have, I have never, uh, in working with other people, had in mind that I am trying to get, encourage them to make art in whatever medium we happen to be working in right. that will, that will please other people. <laughs> because then you, you've left yourself I'm I'm trying I'm trying always to help that person uh, to express themselves uh, plural those people to express themselves uh, as effectively as they can.
And what I try to do is help people start moving and then keep moving because invariably I see people starting to move. And, you know, I do have a bias of, of that uh, expressionist school of the 1960s in New York when I was going to college there and studying with Theodore Stamelson. I, I have a bias toward that expressionistic base, which I think has a lot to do with the origins of art therapy. And so what I do is I find that I get people moving, making gestures, and repeating them. And they lose it when they start thinking too much. If they just keep moving and just naturally respond to what's emerging and shaping it naturally, something significant always happens. If something is there, it is part of your soul life. It's a matter of transforming it, learning to live with it in different ways in positive ways. It's not a matter of, as, as, uh, as Jim said, James Hillman said, just, you know, fixing it away, sweeping it away. It, 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 it doesn't work that way. It'll always come back again. And that's where art comes into the picture. There's the history of tragedy throughout time. Throughout time, civilization is defined uh, the, uh, by, by, the, by, by how it transforms setbacks. Mm. Well, to be a to be a therapist is to accept the responsibility that there are territory, there's transference that will stir. Um, is that an area that um, because we, here we are talking about going into the space as a clinician uh, with your clients and kind of um, allowing this trance to unfold. And being a witness to that, is that how you see it? Well, as, as I said earlier, since 1970, I have essentially worked in groups. I'm trying to get myself out of the way mm. as much as possible. And I'm fascinated with community. I'm fascinated with what groups do. And um, so I was hungry uh, to um, to educate myself in the domain uh, that, that was becoming uh, my life work. And, and Doug Buchanan had a huge impact on me in terms of, of uh, instilling in me the great respect and love and, and commitment to group work. And through him, I came to Maxwell Jones, one of the founders of the therapeutic community movement. And Max then became a great uh, dear friend of mine. I'm very proud to say. Uh, it, it, and so I've always looked at the art therapy studio as a therapeutic community of creation. What I care about are the dynamics between individual people and their artworks. I, I find that art healing often happens as much uh, in terms of me responding to your artwork than to mine. And so uh, uh, psychologically, philosophically, depth psychology committed to the present moment and what is happening now, because the present moment really is all that exists. And I find that groups are always so much, one of the reasons I've always worked in groups is I find them to be so, so much more intelligent than anything I can do alone. Hmm. I, get, well, I, know. I, can get, I can get a little bored of myself, but I've never been bored in a group. And, and it's all about the art energy in the room. There's more art energy in the room uh, when we're working in groups and communities. And I keep finding that uh, 
it gets us out of this literalism too of me and my picture and me and my stuff and my picture because sometimes the best medicine for me is in your picture is a, a or the movement or your voice work that you're doing or your poem it affirms the art too and those images and expressions they are participants in our group process not just the people we can go so much farther together than we can go alone. And I think this this is good. This is the medicine that the world needs today. There is such a richness in what you're saying, Sean. I also want to speak to something of my own sensibilities as a group therapy clinician. And for listeners that are unfamiliar with what a group therapy experience looks like, there might be one movie that I can suggest that actually uh, the, the facade was used by filming Woodhull Hospital, a uh, place that I worked uh, newly out of school, but it's called It's Kind of a Funny Story. I don't know. Did you see it, Sean? By chance? No, no, no. It's something to check out. It's actually from a book of a youth going into an adult psychiatric unit. And there's, of course, Zach Galifianakis in it. So there's a comedy aspect to it. But for, for any listener that hasn't had an idea of what some of the richness that Sean McNiff, my guest, is talking about, you can kind of see inside the world. They do some animations of uh, the main characters' artworks, and they kind of animate them. And there's even a music therapy, David Bowie's spoof. So my work in groups is all about a community of, I call it a community of creation. Sean, do you believe in God? You certainly uh, changed my, um, <laughs> um, let me just say, now I have to take a, a minute on this because I come, I I I, I was, re, uh, I come from a, a very seriously religious family. Um, McNiff, Irish. Yeah, ha, ha, yeah. Well, the, the, that's interesting. Yeah, McNiff. My mother's name was Tyndall. My grandfather was Episcopalian, uh, mm. a High Church Episcopalian. We were raised Catholic uh, because that came, you know, when when you had a quote mixed marriage, <laughs> those days you had to go Catholic. And um, but I always greatly admired my grandfather Tyndall and his his church and his own spirituality. But my my upbringing was what I call high church Roman Catholicism. It had a huge impact on me. And of course, I, like James Joyce, I rebelled against it as a young child. But the, the older I get, even though I do not, I'm not in any way observant. My sister's an associate dean at, at, at Boston College uh, School of Religion. We have strong religious tendencies in the family. And, and it goes also in terms of Ju Judaic traditions, too, of, of, uh, of no name. And the Catholic fundamental teaching is mystery. And I relate to that fundamental part of Catholicism is, is, is the mystery of um, the divine to that. In nature, the sacredness of all forms of life and nature. And so I have deep, deep, deep connection and sympathies and resonations with indigenous spirituality is the divine in all of life. My personal relationships, people outside of my own culture, they, they, 
their fundamental message is the reciprocity of all life. We are all part of the creative process, the creator, which is so much bigger than us. And what, I, what I've always said to my students and training therapists is, I don't want, I hope, and what I fear is that you try to do what I do. It's interesting you say that because in my that podcast- I want you to do, do it your way. In my, in my podcast with Dr. Arthur Robbins, a colleague of yours, um, you both started schools of art, creative arts therapy, expressive arts therapy. He said that too in his very uh, podcasts uh, with Artworks and Therapy. He said, don't try to emulate me. Just do your own thing. But I see you and Arthur Robbins, the late Arthur Robbins, in a way that it just it seems like it comes so easy. It touched me right now bringing up Arthur. And the bringing up art in relation to me, because I, 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 grieving his loss and passage, but of course he had a long and wonderful life, vital right to the end of his life. Absolutely. And I just loved his tone. If you ask me, if there's something about Arthur Robbins, and and I really got it on the podcast, his tone, his voice comes. Uh, his his gentleness and his timing and his and his his confrontiveness. I really really admired Arthur Robbins. In in many ways, we were complete opposites because he was so into the transferences and the uh, in the traditional psychodynamic kinds of. Things. But we were we. He was always inviting me to be on his panels at the art therapy convention, and he was always confronting me, and I loved it, and he knew I loved it. <laughs> He knew I'd like to be confronted. He knew I'd like to be challenged. And I knew he did it in a loving way. It's about yeah. being present for the other yeah. and being influenced by the other. And it's about what happens between us. It's the, I talked about the third in my book, The Arts and Psychotherapy. The artwork is the third in a one-to-one -one relationship. You were talking about Art Robbins and you were talking about the space in between you were also yeah, yeah, yeah. mentioning, Sean, about Art Robbins' intonation and being fond of oh. that. I think it's the negative space between Art Robbins' words. The space between... Oh, that spacing, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. So deliberate. It, tone. Uh, when I was writing about soul in Art as Medicine, I talked about soul as tone. The soul emerges through voice. Art, Arthur, I like calling him Arthur. He had such a magnificent tone. And you're right about timing, rhythmic, gentleness, space, uh, not talking too fast, you know, slow it down. You know, I have to, you know, look at that myself. Mm. In, in, in terms of the space between, it's not just, it's the space between for sure, but it's the, it's the space we are in, the space that is holding us. There, there's a space holding us. So that's where I guess, I guess maybe... Uh, get a little bit uh, religious again and th there's a space holding us and, and it's and, and and we need to as i keep saying the simpler the deeper one of the fundamental most fundamental things that i do as a leader in my group work is to help people slow down mm. people talk too fast they go too fast they share something profound in their work and then they go on to the next thing. And so what I'm always doing after they show a work, after they make a response, 
I, I like to interpret artworks through movement in terms of my own uh, 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 total art expression, artwork uh, practice. So they do these incredible movements and then they immediately start talking and say, oh, wait a minute, let's take a pause. And so those pauses help the group to just take a breath, say, take a breath, take a pause. And, and as Thich Nhat Hanh said, breathe in, breathe out. It, it helps people get into the present moment because they always flee from the present moment. Even in the most profound moments, there's a sort of moving away from it, maybe a defense against it. Give it, give it room to act on you and don't just run off to do the next thing. We're always doing this in our lives. The pause in the nature of this being a podcast, I'd like to take yeah, a yeah, pause, time to pause yeah. <laughs> with you and me. Art can heal your life. It's techniques for self-healing through the creative process. Three hours narrated by you that I thought was amazing and so much fun. And your voice, actually, you almost sound like Shel Silverstein in some parts. <laughs> that laugh, yeah. that's what it is. So we're going to well, take a quick a break. And, that's a, that's um, a com compliment, boy. <laughs> and uh, we will be back in artworks in therapy after this little message so when you log into seanmcniff.com spelled s-h-a-u-n-m-c-n-i-f-f -F, there are titles such as imagination in action trust the process art as research integrating the arts in therapy art heals Art as medicine, art-based research, creating with others, depth psychology of art, fundamentals of art therapy, educating the creative arts therapist. The list goes on. Art Can Heal Your Life, which I mentioned is an audiobook that I would highly recommend. I've noticed in the process of looking at over all these titles of yours, that there's incredible, interesting pop art or art from Lichtenstein. Maybe Art Heals is maybe a Chagall-esque cover. That Lichtenstein, that wonderful uh, de detail from his print, that was a Shambhala Publications art design person. And they 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 do an incredible job with their covers. And okay. one of the reasons why I've loved working not with selected them, them by, as a Not curated by you, though, that Trust the Process cover. No, no, they, okay. they took that. And they always... They always design the covers, and that um, uh, that uh, uh, art heals that you call that Chagallis, uh, uh painting. That's a big, large painting that's right in next door in the <laughs> to the room I'm in, done by yours truly. All of my art of the uh, '80s and '90s, especially, was profoundly influenced by the studio sessions I was working uh, in and the the dream work that they were doing. And that book, the cover of Depth Psychology of Art that you mentioned, was once again one of mine. You know. That was the first book done by an art therapist, I believe, that where that individual art therapist uh, um, included their own art. <laughs> Bruce Moon came later doing a lot of it. Pat Allen has, of course, now. And, of course, Kathy Moon did so much showing it when she was conference chair of the Art Therapy Association, having members show their art at the beginning. I don't, I don't think of a cover ever as... Um, in any way, literally presenting the core concept of a book. Oh, I just see the the cover as a, a visually stimulating uh, piece. No, no, I want to say something else, uh, John, because it brings 
brings the, when you mentioned trust the process, it brought me right back to your question about God. Alfred North Whitehead, who wrote that great book that influenced so many, so many artists called Process and Reality as a philosopher. And he talked about process, ultimately, the core processes of life as that divine force. <laughs> so maybe it's all the creative process, the core energy of process. Yeah, that's the that is. And once again, I'm talking about another another culture that has deeply influenced me. The East Asian notion of chi, ki, the vital force, the core creative energy of life, the Tao process. There's an intelligence in the creative process, as I always say, that is far ahead of, of, of my thoughts. My thinking comes in response to that process that leads the way. And then in thinking, I reflect upon what comes through, what comes through me, uh, what, through you and through us, through our expressive process, through our dreams. It's always a step ahead or two or three uh, uh, ahead of the reflecting mind. Absolutely. So I think that's about as close as we can get to the divinity. And, and I'm citing, I'm citing once again, I'm, I'm citing Whitehead on that one. <laughs> now, any of the artists that we mentioned today or that used as influence in your art for the covers, any of those artists that you believe maybe have suffered or benefited, I'm using air quotes, from mental disorders? In the example of Picasso, surely having had manic episodes simply judging by the vastness of his work. He was so prolific. I'd be careful about taking such a genius and, and reducing it, it, anything to, quote, mental illness. But I think it's in all of us. I do, too. Monk, Monk, Edvard Monk, he had his struggles. Look at Vincent, the great Van Gogh. I mean, I mean, my God, what he did is so divine. Uh, that's uh, Sylvia Plath. I mean, look... It's um, art and suffering, art and pain, art, art and madness. We can also talk about divine madness. It's it's hard to separate it out, and it's and it's dangerous to label, and it's able to label a person as sick or ill, or because the spectrum. We all carry it. We all carry it. Sean, from from an outsider view of what you're saying now, and from a lot of the work I've read. You're so able to be playful with that notion, whereas so many others, they're not able to access that ability to separate even for momentarily or unless they're in your group. It's, it's, you, you could argue, argue oh, it's the, the disease of the time, labeling people, and it comes to the, all the current discussion around identity. Mm. We are complex and of course, love and respect for all the peoples of the world and, 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 and rights. Somehow or other, reducing a person to a label, I, I don't, um, I don't, I do not go with it. I think labeling theory is fundamentally flawed. I'm trying to say, we, I can't reduce another human being to a label. When I met the great Jerome uh, Kagan visiting his office in 1971, he agreed to talk to me about the work I was doing then. He said, Sean, there are no absolutes in psychology. Everything's moving. Everything's moving. Everything's in process. Whitehead again, about the life force. So the, labeling is dangerous. Now, now the psychiatrist that I worked with, 
you know, very closely as colleagues and friends. And I had many of them uh, teaching with us at Leslie when I founded that graduate program when I was 26, 27 years old. And they joined us and the faculty as a community committed to looking at what art does. They were pragmatic. They were pragmatic. They weren't caught up in these ideological absolutes about labeling another human being. They, they, re they realized that, that people are in the hospital uh, because they have some problems. There was an attendant, an, a, a, a psychiatric worse, a nurse who I was very close to. Very, And she never, I don't think she went to had an education beyond high school, but she was so wise. And she said to me about pathology, she said, you know, Sean, and she was so loving to all the patients in the hospital, you know, you know, th these folks aren't here because they have flat feet. You know, they're here because they have some serious, some serious difficulties. And so the hospital was a community, a pragmatic community about what we could do to help the people re-enter the community and contribute again as uh, as a, a productive members. It wasn't about labels. It was about it was about the pragmatics of healing, of, of finding something that a person could do. Imagine being a patient in those groups of yours where titles, labels, uh, diagnoses are not required to be in the group. In fact, put it aside, be human. You know, well, in my opinion, with burn, me. It, burn it, transform it. It was all about respect and human dignity. That patient art moved people. It showed what they were, they were, that showed their human dignity as as contributing members of the of our of our human community. And you wrote the first piece that had video in art therapy, and that was the first of its kind. At That's that time. right. It was all at the Addison Gallery, right? I was very, and that was Christopher Cook, the director of the museum in 1972. He was very intrigued. Because he was a conceptual artist who was interested, as I am, have always been, in the role of art in life and what art could... So he brought a team of students from the academy, his wife, Julie, who was wanted to become... was an artist who also wanted to become in, involved in our art therapy studio. And he brought video into the studio. So he brought that technology. And then, of course, he brought the art therapy program to the museum, which is a whole other story. Do you feel that video is the kind of one of the bigger encapsulations oh of my goodness. all the senses. The, um, in this recent uh, piece I did called uh, coming out in the, soon in the Journal of Applied Arts and Health, it's called an, an Integral Community of Art and Healing, you know, Transcending Silos. And I talk about how video, the medium itself, was a founding partner in in total art expression and therapy. Gesamtkunstwerk, Wadnerstrom for a total artwork. Video itself, was a partner because video naturally integrated all forms of artistic expression. When Christopher and the team from the Addison Gallery and the videographers brought the video into the art therapy studio, dance, voice, poet, reading poetry, uh, little dr dramatic pieces 
happened naturally. We didn't even have to ask people to do it. As soon as you put the camera in front of people, we all have this aspect in us when, if we're feeling relaxed and welcome that, that we make something happen in relationship to the camera. So video was the medium of total art expression, of whole art expression. Video also was magnificent in terms of its ability to record the movements of people making visual art. You know, watching the hand and the movement and people got a whole new take on their artwork by having the, the video of them working. It was profound. You and I haven't talked about this, but since I wrote the first book, on, on art-based research in 1998, which has been a second career for me. And, and I keep, uh, uh, what I've learned is that video is the medium to make art-based research empirical and, and accessible to people. So virtually all my doctoral students, you know, doing many great dissertations, too many to mention here, have all used video as a core piece of their method in terms of not only documenting the, the the phases of an artwork as it's being made but the process of its making but the but the historical pre-video era of having being able only to put a, a photograph of an artwork or, or slides of of artworks so as you used to see in the early art therapy conventions uh, and presentations made it static now those stills have their place they have their place but video brought in action. It brought in the process of making the art. You follow what I mean? The word art, the word art is more than visual art. But but it in art therapy includes every medium of artistic expression. Any form use of art and therapy needs to make itself available to the various media. It needs to be inclusive <laughs> in this era of e preaching inclusivity of all forms of artistic expression. And it needs to do much more in studying what the media do. I wrote a recent article, uh, Jordan asked me to write in the Art Therapy uh, Journal about, you know, what does art do in art therapy? And if you look at what art does, you look at what the different media does. They're different medicines. It's like different chemical elements, the tactile nature of clay, uh, the digital me the digital media bring their own medicines, and they they bring their own shadows. Every medium has b uh, both. What we do is, once again, citing Winnicott, is we hold the space for them. We invite them to. We don't. It's not an intervention. We invite them to express themselves. And then what we do in terms of what I described Mr. Winnicott as Winnie, is Winnie would say, we hold the space for them. We make it safe. We, we support. We have their backs. We protect and we witness, as he said. And that witnessing is a sacred activity. So those two processes of holding interdependent processes of uh, maybe more than two, maybe first activating and inviting a uh, second and there are no, no sequence holding and, and interdependent and simultaneous witnessing. Those are things from him that I, that are fundamental to everything I do. Uh, what, what I see in terms of the future, I could say is uh, very simply is this to restore, to revitalize the transcultural cultural 
trans-historical through all historical epochs of the healing power of art. I, as, as I, I keep, as I said when I talked at the London Art Therapy Center, I am, yes, I'm an evangelist, evangelist when I talk like this, but I'm an evangelist in how art making can become a fundamental feature of public health. Uh, and I've always, uh, I've always been successful, and I think those close to me will, will affirm this, at being provocative and being evocative. I just wanted to thank you for all of your words and time, Sean McNiff. I'd also like to thank Melissa Diaz for the unique wording of our podcast and the lasting and loving memory of Laurel Thompson. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. <laughs>